awesome presence of the Lord in there, guys. God, uh, help me remember not to step backwards and trip over Brianna here behind me. So, uh, Lord, we just we thank you. Uh, Father, I just want to open up in prayer, guys. Lord, we just thank you for communing with us, fellowshipping with us, Lord, and spending this time. It's been so precious to us, Lord, and it's, it's what our hearts desire. It's what we want. It's why you should come to church. It's not about singing a song or even hearing the word. I mean, that's that's good and that edifies us, but it's to be in the presence of the, the Lord and to allow Him to minister to you. And Father, I, I thank you. Lord, I feel right now you're going to open up with your prayer show. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, here on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us of our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, Lord, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. So guys, we're going to talk about the Azusa Street Revival, which is just amazing. I don't know if you got a chance to read through the uh, the book. It was awesome. Um, if not, you may be in for a little bit of a treat, because I'm basically going to tell you uh, what, what the book was about. Um, the book itself was called They Told Me Their Stories, and it was about a, a man who... Um, was born and lived much after the times of the Azusa revival, um, but he he was actually witnessed to and got saved by people that were at the revival, and uh, there was a community of these people that were were young. Some were young kids, some were teenagers. That later in life they all lived together um, in a place called Pisgah, and uh, this gentleman, Brother Tommy, would go. He, he was saved by he got witnessed to by someone that lived there, and he would go and he would listen to their stories, and, and he committed them to memory, and then 40 years later, he actually wrote wrote them all down and put them into a book. So, what uh, what we're going to talk a little bit about today, the actual revival itself, which you guys are going to be amazed when you hear the stuff that happened. It's, uh, you're going to, if, if, it, if it wasn't real and it wasn't God, you wouldn't believe that it even happened. It's amazing. Um... But he, he tells and he relives their stories and he brings that to us and we're gonna we're gonna go through that. So um, just you guys kind of get a again. I like to give you a context, a feel for the timing, right? So this was the early 1900s. So um, if you want to think about that, it was basically one generation after we had the Civil War. So a lot of the people we're going to be talking about, William Seymour, who was the preacher that the Lord ordained to kind of run the Azusa Street Revival, his parents were actually slaves. They had been freed um, by the uh, Emancipation Proclamation back in 1863, I think. So he was born in uh, 1870. So he was only born seven years after the slaves were free. So if you think back in that time, guys, White people, black people, they they didn't eat in the same restaurants. They weren't allowed to use the same restrooms. Uh, you know, there was a there was a set of restaurants that the white people were allowed to eat in, and then there was a set of restaurants and restrooms that everyone else was allowed to use. And uh, it wasn't a great time for our nation, but it makes this revival even more uh, amazing because at the revival there was none of that. 
white, black, Hispanic, Chinese, I mean, any form of Asian, everyone was together. They were worshiping. They were unified. Even in churches at that time, there were white churches. There were black churches. There, there wasn't a, a mixture of the two. So this really was something that was completely countercultural, and it was only God that could, that could do it. So I'm going to open up, guys, with the scripture. The Shekinah glory of the Lord settled on Mount Sinai. For six days the cloud covered the mountain, and on the seventh day the Lord called to Moses from within the cloud. To the Israelites, the glory of the Lord looked like a consuming fire on top of the mountain. You guys, this talks back at the time, it was out of Exodus, so this was back in the time when Moses was leading the Israelites out of the captivity in, uh, in Egypt. And basically the Lord called him up on that mountain. And the glory, it said when he came down, the glory of God had been so strong on him that his face glowed, basically almost like a light bulb. Um, and that, that glory, that strong presence of the Lord um, was seen again at Azusa. And that's the, that we're going to talk a little bit about that. Shekinah means, it's a Hebrew word that means he caused to dwell. And that's what the Lord did. He came to Azusa Street, uh, to this little box of a church that at one point in time had actually been a stable. So there had been animals there. When they started, they had to scoop the poop out, right? To even, even to have the services. And, uh, you know, but the Lord chose to dwell among his people there. And we're going to talk about the glory mist. And you guys will hear a little bit about that. We talk about the flames. People actually call, people that weren't part of the revival, multiple times called the fire department. The fire department would show up and say, where's the fire? Because people would be walking by and see 50 foot tall flames coming off of the building. But they weren't, they weren't natural flames like we, you know, we see. They were, they were spiritual flames. It was God's presence. You talk about, if you remember back in the days, again, when he was leading the Israelites out of Egypt, they followed a pillar of fire. It was like that at Azusa as well. So guys, we're going to kind of run through setting the stage. Um, I'm going to tell you a little bit about William Seymour's life. We're going to talk about Bonnie Bray Street, which was kind of a pre, uh, pre-runner to Azusa. And then we'll get into Azusa itself. Uh, as we seek after revival, though, guys, there's kind of, you know, God God will honor you honoring Him and doing things the right way. And if you follow what His Word says, He's going to move in that uh I'm going to read a scripture here. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves, they will pray and seek my face, and they will turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear them from heaven, I will forgive their sin, and I will heal their land. That's out of Second Chronicles 7 and 14. And if you look, guys, through the course of revival, right, we've been studying these. We studied the Welsh revival. We've been studying what happened in America during the Great Awakening. And through Azusa here, basically you've got... If you take this this verse and you look, there's people that are humble. They're obedient to God's Word. They're doing what the Word of God says. They're committed to prayer, and they have a great expectancy or a faith. I'm going to talk a little bit about it. William Seymour. So, William Seymour's box. How would you? What would you guys think if when you walked into service, we came in, and Pastor Scott was sitting down here, right? He had a box on his head. Just, just sitting here with the box on his head. Everyone else is kind of doing their thing. He may sit there for 10 minutes with the box on his head. Sometimes he sit there for an hour with the box on his head. And everyone else was just kind of, hey, there he is. There's the pastor. Got the box on his head. 
it takes you have to be humble, right? You know, you, people kind of you know people that come in they kind of they look hey, look at the guy with the box on his head. You know, I mean that does that's not something you do if you you know you're trying to you know show yourself to be a cool guy. But that's what the Lord commanded of William Seymour. He told him, put the box on your head. I want people to see you in this state. I want them to understand that you're surrendered to me. You care more about what I think about you than you do about what what they think about you. And he would sit there with this box on his head, absolutely silent, wouldn't say a thing. And, and like I said, sometimes it was 10 minutes, sometimes it was an hour. And during and the cool thing, guys, is during this time, all around him, people are praying, there's ministry teams, people, healings are happening, and he's just sitting there. And then when he took the box off of his head, everyone knew that for that time, the, the prayer time was, was kind of up. Everyone went and sat down, they'd start singing together. But uh, again, you've got to be a humble person to be able to sit there, you know, as the head pastor, the one who's leading the charge. And to kind of put yourself into that that lowly position to start with. I'll talk a little bit to you about kind of some of the obedience, the prayer, and the expectancy as we go. Um, William Seymour, as I mentioned this before, guys, he was born in 1870 in Louisiana, so he was born in the South, where this, you know, where slavery was real prevalent. They, the slaves had just been freed seven years prior, um, and both of his parents actually, again, had been slaves that were freed. His father, um, when they were freed by the proclamation, actually went and fought for the, uh, the in the Civil War for the side of the Union. Um, his dad died at a young age. He contracted like malaria or something when he was fighting. Um, and William and his family basically lived in just just poverty. They said at one point in time they took a they took kind of an inventory of his family's possessions and they owned one like one dresser, one bed, one mattress, and the total value of everything they owned was fifty five cents. So that was I mean that was that was how he grew up. It was basically just in in poverty. He left and moved to the Midwest. So he lived in Ohio, Indiana, Illinois. He was actually saved at a Methodist church in Indianapolis, Illinois. Um, he got his calling when uh, when he was in I think I think he was in Indiana somewhere. Um, but while he was actually in Cincinnati, uh, he contracted smallpox and almost died. And it was so bad that it, it caused his face to be permanently scarred. So he wore a beard his entire life after that to hide the scarring on his face. Not only did it cause scarring, but it caused him to go blind in one eye. So they said if you looked at him, the one eye was hazed over and he could only see out of, out of one eye. So again, guys, thinking you're back at a time where blacks are already being discriminated against. He, you're at, he's blind, he's scarred, but yet God's called him to do something. He stands, he's standing up in front of hundreds and eventually thousands of people, and he's leading this revival that eventually, I mean, that literally touches the world. All right. Um, in 1905, he, he was in Houston, and he actually heard Charles Parham preaching. We've studied Charles Parham before. He's one of God's generals that we've talked about before. Um, and when he heard him preach this message about Pentecost and about the baptism of the Holy Spirit, he got ex- he got really excited, right? He was like, this is this is fresh. This is new. I know this is of the Lord. So he moved to, to- Topeka, Kansas, which is where Charles Parham's Bible school is. Now, he was one of the best students at that school. The interesting thing was he was never allowed to 
entered the classroom. Again, guys, 1905, segregation. The black the black kids weren't allowed to be in the same classroom as the white kids. He sat in the hallway and listened to him pre- listened to Charles Parham teach from the hallway. He he took in the message, and God's anointing was so strong on him that Parham actually asked him to preach with him. Parham would go and preach to the white church, and and. Uh, or uh, Seymour would preach to the black congregation. Uh, and, and then then early 1905, I think, or, or no, it's, I'm sorry, early 1906, February 1906, he was invited to go to Los Angeles. And he was uh, he was told he would have his own congregation to minister to. Um, so he goes there and he begins teaching about the baptism of the Holy Spirit, what he's just learned from Parham. Now at this time, guys, he hasn't even been baptized in the Holy Spirit himself. He's seen others. He's heard the preaching. So he's there preaching this, but yet he hasn't actually received it himself. His church, this was a new new teaching. They didn't accept it. They kicked him out. His own church. They kicked him out. They padlocked the church. Can you imagine trying to do that, Pastor Scott? You an angry man. <laughs> Uh, so he, so here he is. He's moved to Los Angeles. He's he's supposed to be pastor of the church. He gets kicked out. Um, so he he gets a small group of people together and they start having prayer meetings. And it's at what's called Bonnie Bray Street. So Bonnie Bray Street is just a house. And he's there. He's meeting with 10, 12 people. One of the people that's there at the prayer meeting, Brother Lee, gets the baptism of the Holy Spirit. This is in early April. Right? And, and he begins speaking in tongues and he's empowered. And more people hear about this and they start coming. And then three days later, William Seymour himself finally receives the baptism of the Holy Spirit, April 12th, uh, 1906. More people start coming. All of a sudden, they can't spit in the house anymore. So he goes out on the, on the porch and he's preaching from the porch. More people start coming. All of a sudden, they've got hundreds of people just gathered around. So they're sitting on the neighbor's lawns. They're sitting out in the street around just this little house. And uh, the police finally come and say, you, you can't you can't stay here. You can't have two, three hundred people just sitting outside of a house. It doesn't, you know, you can't do that. So they went and they looked for another building. And that's when they found the building at Azusa Street. Now this building, guys, again, it was a square building, four walls, had a flat ceiling on it. It had been a stable. It was dirty inside. They had to go clean it. But before they could even get to that, they didn't even have enough money to rent that at that point. Uh, so he said, Lord, we're ready to move, but we don't have the money to rent this place. What should we do? And the Lord tells him, he says, go get on, go get on the trolley and head to Pasadena. Pasadena, guys, is a all-white community. Black people aren't even allowed there after dark. They can get arrested just for being in the community after dark. But, you know, the Lord said, hey, go. So he gets on the trolley and he goes. He's riding the trolley. He's waiting. He hears the Lord. Get off here. He gets off. He doesn't know what he's doing. The Lord says, go to this apartment. So he walks to the apartment. Go to this door. Knock on this door. He walks, you know, he trusts the Lord. He goes up. Knocks on the door. It's 10 o'clock at night. Inside, there's a group of young women who had been seeking the Lord and praying for revival to come to Los Angeles. Again, 10 o'clock at night. They come, open the door. There's a black man there, blind in one eye, scarred face, 10 o'clock at night in a neighborhood he's not allowed to be in. And, uh, you know, so you got to kind of picture what they're, you know, what are they thinking? And, and they say, can I help you? And he goes, you've been praying about revival. And they said, yes. And he said, he said, I'm the man that God has sent to preach that revival. 
and they're like, you know, <laughs> you know they're, so they invite them in. Um, they they talk with them. They take up a they take up an offering for them, um, and at, from that point, uh, at that, they were able to use that offering to pay for the, to start Basuza. So isn't that kind of cool, guys? I skipped over part of the notes, guys. Uh, all right, so that meeting I was telling you about. Um, Sister Carney was at that meeting. Um, I'm going I'm to go back a little bit. We talked about Topeka, Kansas and the Bible school there. So there had been a gentleman by the name of Brother Lankford who had attended that Bible school. He, and he had received the baptism of the Holy Spirit. He had then gone back to Los Angeles um, to a community called Pisgah. And he, he went to the leader of that community, Dr. Yoakum, and he tells him about the infilling of the Holy Spirit. He tells him, he, he gives him this teaching. And Dr. Pisgah's like, or Dr. Yoakum's like, that's awesome. So he starts teaching that within the Pisgah community. Well, Sister Carney hears this at the age of 15, and she receives the baptism of the Spirit. She feels, she feels led by the Lord to move to Pasadena and to begin witnessing. So she begins witnessing to the other young girls that are part of the Baptist Church in Pasadena. If you guys know anything about the Baptist Church and the Holy Spirit, they don't always go together. So, uh, at, you know, within a couple years, they'd actually been asked to leave. It was Sister Carney's group that was praying when William Seymour came there. So it was that group. You can see how the God had to orchestrate that, guys. He took, he sent a man two years prior to receive this message. Come, get this lady, give it to the pat or the head of this community. Have this girl come, get that message, move, witness here, and then he sent Seymour, also that they could have a Susan Street. It's pretty amazing. All right, so they they're now. Uh, So now they've got the building, right? They're they're and I want you guys to kind of picture this. So this building this room we're in right now, right? It's basically a square box. This is probably very similar to what they had. They didn't have money for nice things. Our, I'm sure our stuff is much, much nicer than what they had. They uh, when they started they had no musical instruments, they just sang. The floor was completely made of dirt. His his preaching pulpit, I've got this nice pulpit here, he had two crates stacked on top of each other with a sheet draped over it. The pews that the people were sitting in were basically barrels cut in half and then put planks of plywood between them. So it wasn't, you know, this wasn't a fancy, a fancy church. Um, but yet, it's where it's where God chose to move. And uh, we're going to talk, guys, a little bit. Th- this book, the, they told me their stories. It's not about the the pastor that was there. It's not about the all of the. Um, the, the, the leaders of the Los Angeles community, you know, uh, church community. Most of these stories, guys, are about kids. About kids. They're about young men and women that are your age or younger. Some of them are about little babies, and we're going to talk about. Um, and this is their stories, and this is what God chose to move through them. He moved through the older people as well, but He moved through the young kids. I want you guys to hear these because I want you to understand and, and believe that. God, when this revival that we that we know is coming, when it starts to happen, you're not too young to be used, guys. God's gonna touch you. He's gonna he's gonna lay he's gonna at you know pastor's direction and at God's leading, he's gonna lead you guys to pray for people, and you're gonna see these miracles. And when I start talking to you, and, and all I'm gonna do is tell you their stories, guys. This is fun for me. I don't have to do very little teaching tonight. All I gotta do is kind of tell you some stories. So um, it's pretty awesome. But the stories that you're gonna hear, you're gonna it's gonna it's gonna blow your mind. It's amazing. All right, I'm gonna start with a scripture. 
That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, and which we have looked at, and our hands have touched, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. The life appeared, and we have seen it, and testified to it, and we proclaim to you eternal life, which was with the Father, and has now appeared to us. We proclaim to you that what we have seen and heard, so that what so that you may also have fellowship with us, and our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son Jesus Christ. We write this to make our we write this to make our joy complete. That's first John one verses one through four. And guys, what that basically is, that's the that's the apostles basically saying these are the stories they had with Jesus. And this and very similarly, the stories we're about to tell you, these are the experiences that these people had with the Holy Spirit, with God communing with them. And uh, so the first one we're gonna talk about is Sister Darnell. Uh, Sister Darnell's mother was at the revival, and her mother was three years old at the revival. And, and her mom would take her every day. They'd go to the revival. Her mom would bring her in, would set her under the pew, and she said she would lay down and, and take a nap. Um, well, a lot of times when she would go to nap, go to sleep, or when she would wake, wake up from her sleep, there was a, uh, a mist, a glory mist. So if you guys can imagine, you've been where... Uh, Maybe our outcries where we have the smoke machines and, and that smoke comes. Well, imagine that, but instead of being natural, man-made smoke, this mist was the presence of God. He'd come in like a glory cloud. And he was, he was, he was on the floor. And they said that when, when he would start to move and the power of God would get, would get more powerful, the mist would start to glow. Have like a light that came out of the mist, and you could breathe the mist in. They said when you breathed it in, it was like like pure oxygen coming inside of you. And I'll tell you stories. People are healed just from breathing in the mist, and and they said you could the mist you could see it, and you could you could kind of waft your hand through it, but you you couldn't. People tried to put it in a bottle, right? I want to take the mist home with me. I want to take God home. That, that didn't work. You can't you can't do that. You couldn't capture it, but yet you could you could. You could play. You could lay down in it. You could move around in it. You could. You could be part of it. And this little girl, Sister Darnell, her mom, uh, as a three-year-old, would, would lay down under the bench and go to sleep and would breathe that in. And the, and the presence of the Lord would just fill her. And some, they said sometimes she'd wake up and her and the other little kids would play hide and go seek in the mist. It was so thick that they, they would bend down and they'd be under the mist and you couldn't see them. They couldn't find each other. So. Uh, now, now, Sister Darnell, who was the daughter of this lady, um, grew up in that, right? Her mom, her mom lived in that, and her life was kind of setified and sanctified by that. And she actually um, was succeeded Amy Simple McPherson as the head pastor at the Angelus Temple in Los Angeles. And some of you guys know who Amy Simple McPherson is. Some, those that have been here, we, we taught on her. She's in the God's General's book. But she was a woman that was well ahead of her time with evangelism. In the early 1900s, she was on the radio and doing things. Um, she had she would go, uh, she was very dramatic. She would go stand in the street and, and put a bucket down and stand up and strike a pose. And she'd wait till like 30 or 40 people would gather around. And then she'd run and they'd all follow her. And she'd run to her church. And as soon as they followed her into her church, she'd have the usher shut the doors. And then she'd, and then she'd, uh, she'd give them, she'd evangelize to them and she'd give them. A, a, a salvation message. Um, but she was, at that time, guys, in Los Angeles, she had one of the largest churches there. And she was
was a, a, a lot of the movie stars of the day, Charlie Chaplin and those people, would come to her church. She had a lot of influence in the world as this pastor. So, And she founded what was called the Four Square Denomination. And those, those were, the declaration was Jesus is Savior, Jesus is Healer, Jesus is Baptizer in the Holy Spirit, and Jesus is the Coming King. So she was very, very influential. And Sister Darnell was actually the one that took over after she left the church and became the head pastor there. So kind of cool that she, you know, went from Azusa and her family was involved with Azusa in, into that. Uh, she also is the one, I told you Tommy, Brother Tommy was the one that wrote this book about their stories. She prophesied to him 40 years before he wrote the book, she prophesied to him that he would write this book someday and it would tell their stories and it would uh, it would proclaim of what was going to come, which is basically, we're going to talk about this a little later, but um, William Seymour in 1910 prophesied that in around 100 years that God was going to visit uh, America again with the same type of Shekinah glory, revival, and power. Um, and guys, that's exciting, because you think about it, 1910, 100 years, we're in 2014. So uh, it's it's about time. We're a couple years behind, but uh, that's all right. <laughs> all right, so that's the first one. Uh, Sister Carney. I talked to you guys a little bit about Sister Carney. Uh, she received the baptism of the Holy Spirit at age 15. She was the, one of the girls that was in that apartment when William Seymour came. She was praying and she helped fund the start of the of the revival. She was known for her great faith. And she actually oversaw a lot of what happened prior to when William Seymour would start preaching. So I told you he came down and put the box on his head, right? Well, here is this girl that was 17 years old. And everyone kind of looked to her as to what to do. And, and she didn't try to do it. She didn't, But God had ordained her and given her a natural leadership and an authority um, and a great faith where everyone kind of looked to her. So she would she would work with the young men and the, and the even some of the older men and she would kind of help them with what to pray and how to pray and who to pray for. Uh, they had what they called the, the, Car- the Sister Carney Rule. And basically what this was was before you prayed for someone, you needed to have an act of faith. So what what is what does that mean? All right, someone rolls up in a wheelchair, right? Instead of just going up and laying your hands on them, get out of that wheelchair. Instead, first you walk up and you move their leg rest and you take their leg rest off because if if you tell them to get up and their feet are on their the leg rest, they can't move. So she would remove those leg rests. And before she would ever pray, she would say, you're going to be healed. You're going to get out of that. If there were people that came with braces on their legs, she would make them take them off before she would pray for them. Because it was a step of faith. And she taught others this. And, and there, others would start to pray sometimes, and they go, oh, wait, wait, wait. We got the Sister Carney rule. We got to stop, and we got we to do an act of faith first. So, uh, you know, awesome woman. All right, so... Let's talk about some of the miracles and the healings that she saw. Uh, they said, guys, that she would see anywhere between six and eight miracles slash healings every week for the three and a half years she was there. Um, so one one day she looks up, okay, and she sees this woman coming in th- through the door. She's got her, she's holding her ear. She's got a, she's got a bandage up here and is, is bleeding through the bandage. And she walks up and she's like, "What's what's happened?" The woman takes the bandage off and, and her ear is completely gone. It's just, it's just blood and just just gushing. And this woman had actually found her husband with another another woman, with a mistress. And when she confronted the mistress, the mistress bit her ear off. 
completely clean off. So, you know, not 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 awesome. But uh, so so Sister Carney comes up to her and says, you know, let's. She says, you know, I have faith that you, your ear I, we will heal that. And she prays. She lays her hands on it. She prays, God, in Jesus' name, make this woman whole, heal her. And while she, there, everyone's sitting there watching, her, a new ear grew out of her head. They wiped the blood off, and she had two ears now, completely healed. Pretty amazing, huh? Yeah. Uh, Wheelchair-bound people would come in, guys, right? And again, she'd make them take their feet off of the leg rest. She would pray, sometimes for four or five people at a time, command them to get up and to walk. They said you would hear bones twisting. You'd hear things popping back into place. And these people that might have been wheelchair-bound for years would stand up, and all of a sudden, they could walk again. And they'd start jumping and praising and shouting, you know, singing praises to the Lord. Um, a gentleman by the name of Brother Aubrey came in. He had braces. He'd been His whole life, he'd not been able to walk. He had something wrong with his legs. She took the braces off, and she threw them, and, and she commanded, in Jesus' name, you will walk. Your legs are fully healed and restored. And he got up, guys. He started walking. Now, here's the cool thing. That man, because of that experience, he went on to pastor a church in Los Angeles. He became one of Los Angeles' largest churches. He pastored it for 35 years. How many people you think got saved through that man's ministry because someone cared enough and because the Lord healed him? And he had a he had a story to tell, right? It says we'll overcome the enemy by the by the uh, our word of our testimony. This man had a testimony. He had something to share, and uh, that came through Sister Carney praying for him. Uh, the Shekinah glory. I started to tell you a little bit earlier about the the glory cloud mist. She said that it was like breathing in pure oxygen. That she said she felt like it was if, as if heaven had come down and was just resting there with them in the in the building. She talked about the glory flames that were seen above the Azusa Street Mission. And as I said earlier, the fire department was called many times. The interesting thing was, these healings guys I'm telling you about, when the glory was present, when that cloud was thick, or when the flames were there, they said they they increased exponentially. So people just started getting healed left and right. So why why does that happen? Because that glory cloud, guys, that's, that's the presence of God. It's the tangible presence of God communing, Shekinah glory, dwelling among being here with us, and we're gonna, guys. I believe that we're going to see that too. That's what's exciting about. That's what's exciting about what's in front of us. Um, speaking towards Brother Seymour, she had a great respect for William Seymour, the pastor of this, uh, uh, the preacher and pastor of the revival. She said that his anointing was so powerful that it was like electricity. She said the first time that she touched him during a service, it actually it shocked her, and she passed out. The power of the anointing was so powerful. She just... I like Brianna here behind me. Yeah, but... uh, She also talked about how humble he was. um, And that when he came into the room, the the miracles and the anointing increased. So this man was... Guys, if you can imagine, this man was so close to God. He spent so much time with the Lord that even as he came into a room... The, the, the presence of God would come with them and the anointing would increase and the miracles would increase. And as we go through this, as I tell you these different people's stories, I'm going to kind of give you little attributes of things that they saw from William Seymour. Some of the stuff, guys, you're going to, it's, you'll probably just, it's amazing. You'll, you'll hear it as we as we go. So, um, 
the other thing, guys. Uh, so, Sister Carney had a had a gift for leadership and discipleship. She oversaw the revival meetings. Um, she partnered with two young men. There were young men there by the name of Ralph Riggs and C. W. Ward. One was twelve and one was fourteen. We'll talk about them a little later. They would go around and pray for people during these meetings, guys. They said that they would see six to eight miracles every night. They had such a faith and a belief that God would do something that that they would see people just heal. Boom, boom, boom. And she, she kind of ministered to them. So what's kind of cool about that, these two men, they later co-founded the Assemblies of God denomination. So you look around, there's thousands of churches that are Assemblies of God, right? They, these two boys were those founders. They, they basically learned about God during this Azusa Street Revival. She was also good friends with uh, Brother Fox, who we'll talk about. He was a great missionary to India. And also John G. Lake, who was a missionary to South Africa, whose life we also studied. So quick story about John G. Lake, guys. While he was in Africa, the bubonic plague, I think? The bubonic plague hit Africa. So people were, were just dying by the thousands. And they set up these quarantine tents. And they said, no one can go in there because these people were sick. Well, John G. Lake and his ministry team, they would go into these tents and they would pray for the people. And, and a lot of them were healed. But the the government and the doctors were like, why are you doing that? Why would you risk your life? And he said, that can't come on me. The glory of God fills me so much that, that, that that's of the enemy. It can't even live. And, they, and he took and had bubonic plague, like the active plague, put onto his hand. And then they, he put it under a microscope. And they sat there and watched, the, the doctors did and the scientists did, as the bubonic plague hit his hand, it withered up and it died. Isn't that awesome? All right. Brother Anderson. I kind of think Brother Anderson might be like some of you young folks here in the room. He was known as the modern-day Zacchaeus. He said he had energy galore. He was bounding all around. So he would, if he wasn't praying for people, they said he would run and jump up on a chair, and he would watch. He loved watching what was going on. So he saw a lot of the miracles. Uh, but he was also very involved in praying for people. One guy came in, young man, his entire life he'd been afflicted with, with what's called club foot. Have you guys ever seen that? Have you ever seen a person whose entire like foot and leg is basically useless? It's just kind of out there. It's twisted to the side. A lot of times you'll see him just kind of dragging it behind him. So this young man that he prayed for, his whole life had been that way. And uh, Brother Anderson asked him, he said, do you want me to pray for you? Do you want, do you want to be healed? And the young man knew the Word of God, and he said, well, he said, I know Jesus took the stripes on his back, but wasn't that just for for healing sickness and, and disease? He said, you know, I just have kind of a deformity. And uh, so Brother Anderson started telling him about some of the stories that he'd seen and some of the things that were happening there at the revival. And why do you do that, guys? To raise that faith level up, right? There's great faith. God will move. So he told him this. And the boy said, oh, okay. So he lays his hands on it, and they, they watch as the guy's foot starts turning. Goes back to straight. Comes back. And all of a sudden... The, the boy's leg, who's never been able to use his leg, is working. He starts running around. He starts jumping up and down, right? That's what God wants to do, guys. He loves He loves everyone. He loves us all. He wants to do that for us. And and I, and I you guys, I promise you, your faith, I, I know you guys, I know your faith. You're going to pray for people and you're going to see these types of things. So, All right, this next one. Sister Diane. Not our Sister Diane. A different Sister Diane. She would look really good for her age if she was still our Sister Diane. But Sister Diane comes in to the revival. 
holding on the side of her neck a tumor half the size of a basketball out the, growing out the side of her neck. She couldn't walk, guys. If she if she didn't hold it up, she couldn't she couldn't walk. It would pull her over. Uh, the doctors had told her it was too big to operate and basically told her, you're going to die. There's nothing we can do for you. This tumor is too big. You're, you're going to die. And again, guys, this is over 100 years ago, so different medicine, but that was her reality was, if God doesn't heal me, I'm going to die. And can you imagine even just having to walk around? Can you imagine walking around in public, having to hold hold your tumor up? Again, not a, not a, it's a very humbling place. So... Uh, Brother Anderson lays his hands um, on her. He, he, he commands, he says, Tumor, you will go down, you will shrink. And he starts pushing in, and the tumor starts shrinking. shrinking. And instantly, the tumor is gone. She's completely healed. Now she is grateful to God, right? So what does she do? She then, she opens up a soup kitchen, and she ministers to the homeless for the next 40 years after that. There's a pattern I want you guys to see here. God, when He does this... He, he he will heal people, and, and they're grateful for that, right? But then the outworking of that. You're going to see people are, are witnessed to by the healing. People's lives are changed, and, and they go, and, and all of a sudden, their life was heading this way. They're healed, and now they're heading this way. And, and, you, and you're going to see that again and again as I tell you these stories. Uh, it was interesting. When he talked about the Shekinah glory, he said it was hard to explain because it could only be described. It couldn't be understood. If you think about that, you could describe it. I can kind of tell you about the glory mist, right? I can imagine it, and me, myself, I can imagine it glowing. But I can't really understand it, I think, unless you're there and you're in it and you're feeling it and you're, and you're receiving from it. Um, he said it was a smoke-like substance and that as God moved, it would glow brighter. He said you couldn't, you, you know, they're trying to describe it. He goes, you couldn't take a fan and blow it. You, you couldn't just pick it up, but you could walk in it, you could sit in it, you could breathe it in, um, but you, you really you couldn't capture it and control it. And I mean, if you think about this, it's, that is God, right? You can't, you can't control God. You can't, as man, we don't have the ability to put God in a box, but yet if we'll let Him, He'll fellowship with us. So then also, this glory mist, guys, he said it would it would increase as people would sing and would worship God in the Spirit. So a lot of times, William Seymour, when he would come down, uh, and we're going to talk about this in a second, we're talk about Brother Signs, he would when take the box off, he would tell people to start singing, and after a period of time, he would say, sing in the Spirit. And as people started singing and praying in tongues, others would join them. And then they said... All of a sudden, there was more more vocals than people singing. So they said the angels would basically be singing with them. And they said when this happened, that glory mist would start glowing. And it would get higher in the room. And then people would just start to get healed. Boom, boom, boom. And this glory mist would just surround them and get brighter and brighter as people sang. Again, guys, right? Look, you, you worship God in spirit and in truth. When you're worshiping and you're singing to Him in, in your prayer language, you're worshiping Him in, in the spirit. And, and He moves in that. As he, de- he described William Seymour as a man of great faith who never doubted anything of the kingdom of God. He also said that he was a brilliant preacher. He said he, w- he could express the deep mysteries of God, but in simple words that were easy, that even the, un- the uh, uneducated could understand. Um, he told of a story 
where there was a group of rheumatoid arthritis patients um, that had come to the to the revival. I don't know if you guys have ever seen anyone if you've had any grandparents with rheumatoid arthritis, but it's 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 a very debilitating disease. It's it, when you see people their their hands are clenched up or their their feet are clenched, they can't move. They've lost the function. So I mean, they're they're it's it, basically they're not able to function. So he looks at these 12, 12 people. Um, and, and he he asked them he asked the people in the in the revival he says do you want to see a miracle and they're like yeah yeah we do <laughs> so he goes and he prays for these people and he said again the bones began popping and these arms and fingers and hands started straightening out and all twelve of them that had come were healed and were able to get up and were able to function normally and had the use back of their hands and of their feet. Uh, he tells of another story. A man came and he had he had warts all over his face, little growths and things like that. And you know, again, guys, if you can imagine, that, that would be a very humbling position. And you know, people aren't nice to you right, a lot of times when that's the case. And Seymour took took uh, grace on this man. He went and he prayed for him. And as he was praying for him, he laid his hands. I said, the warts fell off. They said that Brother Anderson said he had to come with a broom and with a dustpan to sweep up the warts off of the floor. Here. So guys, kind of. All right. So I talked to you earlier about William Seymour putting the box on his head, and uh, one of the things that um, a couple of the different saints who told their stories here talk about is when he stopped after a period of time of you know five or three, four years, he stopped coming down and putting the box on their head. No one really asked him about it, but they said that when he stopped doing that is when the anointing and the power and the miracles started to slow down and started to go away. So it's just, you kind of have to wonder, you know, we heard earlier in that scripture, if you'll humble yourself, you know, and you'll you'll pray and you get down on your face, I'll hear you from heaven and I'll heal your land. We have to be willing to humble ourselves. And I'm not, you know, I don't know what was going on with William Seymour. I don't know why he stopped that. But it's interesting that as he stopped putting the box on his head, the revival started to wane and they stopped seeing the miracles. So next we're going to talk about Brother Signs, who was their piano player, and Brother Christopher, who was a violin player. Um, I think Pastor Scott would probably enjoy these guys. It said that whenever William Seymour would come down, he would tell them, he would come down, he'd take his box off his head, and he would just tell them, play this. And they had no music sheets, they had nothing, and they would just start playing it. Whatever he asked. Didn't matter the song, just from memory or sometimes just from the leading of the Holy Spirit, they would play and they would sing the, sing the songs together. And again, guys, they said as they played, the people would begin to sing and the atmosphere of heaven would invade that place. Um, and they were also, uh, they were involved in the healings and the ministries, or the healings and the miracles also. Uh, Brother Signs, uh, prayed for a crippled boy who came in on crutches, had been on crutches his whole life. He took the, again, the Sister Cardi rule, right? He took the crutches away from the little boy. The little boy said, why are you doing that? So, you know, gets rid of him, then prays for him, and the little boy is completely healed. He starts running around and dancing and singing praises to the Lord. A woman brought her blind husband into the revival and uh, told, told Brother Sign, she said, heal him. She looked, pointed at him, she looked at him, heal him. And the brother sign said, I can't. 
she looked confused. And he said, but Jesus can't. And she said, so he, he lays his hands on the, the husband and, and the husband's eyes are opened up. And uh, he said, it wasn't it wasn't me, I can't heal him, but Jesus Jesus did, and Je- or Jesus can, and Jesus did. So uh, another young man came in with, uh, he burned his arm at work, and he developed an infection. And I don't know if you guys have ever seen when an infection gets really bad. We don't, A lot of times we don't see that, right? We live in a time where medicine is such that we can treat it. But the arm started to gangrene, and what that means is the flesh actually starts rotting. It starts to smell, getting smelly, turns green, starts falling off. And, and when that happened, guys, and they would have to amputate. If it was your leg, your arm, there wasn't a way for them to stop it, so they would cut it off. Well, this young man, he, he came in, and that, that was the state his arm was in. And Brother Signs heard from the Lord, and the Lord told him to pray for it, and then to tell the young man to go home, to clean it, and to rebandage it, and that if he would do that, that, the, that it, he would be healed. So he gives them the word. And again, guys, earlier we talked, right? you got to be humble. you got to be obedient. If God tells you to do something, you do it. So the young man went home. He cleaned the wound. He rebandaged it. He woke up the next day, and his arm was completely healed. So he, he, came, back to, he came back the next day completely healed. So Brother Signs was talking about William Seymour, um, and he actually asked him, right? No, you, you got to imagine, this guy, so here's a guy you've seen, right? He prays for dozens of people at a time and gets healed. People touch him, and he falls. they fall down. The electricity is so much. So he's kind of almost a little intimidating. So not a lot of people were willing to ask him questions, but Brother Signs, who's up on stage with him, he, he asked him one time, so, so William, what, what are you doing under the box? You know, what, what's going on? You know, because, you know, why... Why are you sitting there for 10 minutes, for an hour, just sitting under the box? And uh, he, he said that William Seymour told him that, that he was meditating and he was waiting on God. He said he didn't want to move of, of himself. He didn't want to do what William Seymour thought was right. He wanted to hear from God about what he was supposed to do for that service. So he would sit there with that box on his head until the Lord told him what, what he was supposed to do next and what was going to happen that night, which I thought was pretty cool. And this was a quote from him. He says, If you were at Azusa and your heart was right, God found a way to involve you in His miraculous works. Which I thought was cool. Alright. Next, uh, we'll talk about Ralph Riggs and his mother. Um, we talked a little earlier, guys. Ralph Riggs was one of the young boys who eventually ends up founding the Assemblies of God denomination. Um, but he was 12 years old at the start of the revival. Uh, him and his buddy, C.W. Ward, who was 14, uh, they would go, and they would go pray for people. They took direction, again, from Sister Carney. Um, but I, if you can imagine, 12-year-old boy, I'm sure he wasn't a big, wasn't, you know, he's probably five five foot tall, maybe five five at the most. One of the first things that uh, God directs Ralph to do is he sees a man come in who's six foot five. That's a tall guy. Pastor Stephen, how tall are you? You're 6'3", so two inches taller than Pastor Stephen. 250 pounds. Pastor Stephen, how much you weigh? 150. 100 pounds heavier and two inches taller than Pastor Stephen. This man comes in, he's blind. Not only is he blind, he's drunk. So he's staggering in, he can't see, he's huge, right? And, and the Lord tells little Ralph Riggs, I want you to go pray for that man. Okay, Lord, you know. Yeah. So he goes. Uh, so he goes up. He goes up to him. Um, 
he, he prays for the man and immediately the man's eyes are open and he can see. Not only that, the alcohol smell and the effects are gone. He's completely sober. The alcohol smell is gone. And, and this man, this huge man, right, that came in stumbling, drunk, can't see, is now given a new lease on life. And what does he do? He becomes an evangelist. He travels throughout the Midwest, founding churches, preaching revivals, and, and establishing churches. So again, guys, gets prayer, change, changed life. Um, he had seen he'd seen William Seymour pray for mass healings. He'd seen him pray for lots of people before. So he decided he'd try it. So he he got a whole group of uh, arthritic. Elderly arthritic people together prayed for him, saw them healed all at once. Uh, a husband and a wife both came in, both in wheelchairs. They'd both been sick, had some type of disease like polio or, or something, were completely debilitated. He started to pray for them, and he remembered Sister Carney's rule, and he stopped. He goes and he picks up their foot footrest, right? He moves them out of the way. He comes back, he lays hands on them, he starts praying. All of a sudden, they, spo- they both scream. They get up out of their wheelchairs and start running around completely healed. Mother Riggs, Ralph Riggs' mom, has 12 elderly people come in, all in wheelchairs. She she tells them to join hands. She prays for them. All 12 get up out of the wheelchairs. They join arms. They start dancing and singing together. Isn't that awesome? All right. Um, Another story about the Shekinah glory, uh, Brother Riggs and Brother and C.J. Ward, uh, much like the little kids, they would go back in the uh, in the back of the church building sometimes and play hide-and-go-seek in the, in the glory mist. Uh, Mother Riggs said she loved the Shekinah glory, um, that, you know, especially when the mist would begin to glow. She said it tasted of heaven. She loved walking in it, living in it, and breathing in it. Right, the next guys next we're going to talk about Brother Lankford. Um, I told you a little bit about him earlier. He's the one that had gone to Topeka, Kansas, gotten the baptism of the Holy Spirit, and then brought it back to um, brought it back to Pisgah. But he, him, and his wife saw amazing miracles. So this gentleman comes in, and two weeks prior to that, he'd been working at his shop, and a machine had ripped. Uh, three fingers off of his hand. So all he had left were two fingers. He had just kind of bloody, you know, kind of crusted over stuff here. The Lord, the Lord tells him, "I want you to pray for that man. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna give him a new hand." So, uh, so Brother Langford lays his hands on it and he commands, "In Jesus' name, I command you, fingers grow out." And all of a sudden, out of these what were little stumps, these fingers start growing. And all of a sudden, this guy's got got five fingers. And his wife is watching. His wife is like, she passed. (laughs) And then they said they watched as not only did he give him fingers, but then his fingernails started growing. By the time he was done, he had a completely restored hand. Um, a, a hunchback woman came in. She was bent over and she was twisted. For years of her life, she hadn't been able to stand upright. They prayed for her and her back popped and she straightened up and began dancing. A man with crippled legs. He hadn't walked in over two years. He had been in a train accident. In the train, he worked at a train yard. The train had fallen on him and it crushed his legs and pinned him to the ground. The leg bones had been split into many pieces. And basically the doctors told him that there was nothing they could do for 
him they were going to have to amputate his legs. He said, before you do, he said, I'm going to Azusa because I believe God will heal me. So he had, he had the faith. He shows up. They start praying, and, and Brother Langford and his wife start praying for him. And they said, you could hear the bones going back together and forming in his legs. And then you could see the muscles grow out. And then you could, and he, and he, by the time they were done praying, he stood up and had completely healed legs and was able to walk as if nothing had happened after two years, guys, of having his legs be completely useless. A woman had lost part of her nose to cancer. They prayed for her, her nose grew back out. Uh, a man had a, a tumor on his back that was a foot long, four inches wide, and three inches big. They prayed for it and they pushed it back into his back and it completely disappeared and was gone. People with uh, cleft lips, if you've ever seen this, where like the lip isn't fully formed, they were healed. Teeth grew back in as they prayed for it. People had gaps in their teeth. They would, they would pray for them. They'd go back together. Um, five people came from a house for the blind. Brother Langford started with each one of them. Prays for the first one. Lays his hands on his eyes. Says, be healed in Jesus' name. Takes his hand back. The first guy screams, I can see! They go that two. Second guy, I can see! All five of them. One right after the other. Instant. Blind to being, having full sight. He tells the story of William Seymour. Uh, he says that he's watching one time and William Seymour had a man come up to him and had a wooden leg. So the man had, had flesh to here, but then from here down was all wooden. And the man had started to get gangrene on his leg where the, where the wood met the stumpy flesh. And, and he asked Seymour, he said, will you pray that the, the gangrene goes away? And uh, instead, Seymour looked at him and said, I'd rather have you just take the wood off, take the, take the wood leg off. He goes, you know, it's going to be harder for God to grow your leg back out if that wood stumps there in the way. So uh, the man, man takes off his leg, takes off the wood leg. Uh, he begins to pray for him. Uh, and then, then, then he, he says, Lord, glorify your name. In the name of Jesus, I command you leg, grow out. And the man's leg, no leg from here down, grew out. And he had a full leg, a full leg after him. Yeah. Isn't that awesome? <laughs> Another man had lost his shoulder. Had lost his whole arm. Had been ripped out in a in a in an accident at his work. So all he had, all he had, guys, was was just the shoulder. He had just the stump there. Um, ten years. It happened ten years ago, it, or ten years prior to getting prayer. Seymour uh, asked the people if they wanted to see God have a wonderful time. Isn't that cool? Because God does, guys. He enjoys that. He 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 enjoys making us whole. He, his will is for us to all be whole and to heal. So he comes up, and I kind of pictured him kind of like uh, Smith Wigglesworth. If you guys remember, we talked about him. He sometimes would punch people in the stomachs if they had if they had like a cancer stomach. So this he Seymour comes up to him and he smacks him, boom, right on the shoulder, right where the stump was, and he commanded the arm to grow out. And instantly it did. The arm just shot out, and he had a whole arm. Ten years, he only had one arm, guys. And uh, one night, he goes to revival, and God touches him, and all of a sudden, he's got two arms again. You think that guy was grateful? Can you imagine having one arm, trying to live your life with one arm, and do it for ten years? And then one night, you go, and God gives you your arm back. You know what he did the next service, guys? He showed up the next the next the next day. He brought two hundred people with him that all wanted to give their lives to the Lord. 
he got home. You don't you don't fake having an arm, right? I mean, everyone knows. Hey, they're Stumpy, you know. All of a sudden, Stumpy's got two arms, and they go, "What? What happened? What happened to you?" He said, "I went to the I went to the revival. God touched me." They were like, "Whoa." We want that. We want to know what God can do for us. And uh, and 200 people came to the Lord through that. Uh, Sister Mangrum, she was 22 years old. Um, and this was just a neat story because it talks about how much God loves us. Uh, she prayed for a woman that had been pigeon-toed her whole life. So if you've ever seen that, guys, pigeon-toed basically means that you, you're like this. So when that woman would walk, she'd kind of you know do one of these things. And, and it wasn't that the woman couldn't live her life. She could. She she could get around. It wasn't wasn't really debilitating. But it was just something that you know people made fun of her. They laughed at her. Ha ha! Look at her. Um, same thing. Another woman had a crooked nose, and it was I guess it like kind of bent around. So her whole life, people just made fun of her, pointed at her, laughed. Ha ha! Well, Sister Mangrum understood that God, you know, even though these these afflictions weren't dehabilitating, they didn't stop them from doing anything, it hurt them, right? It hurts your heart to have someone point at you, make fun of you, to, to laugh at you. Um, so she would go and she would pray for these women, and, you know, God straightened that woman's legs out and gave her normal legs. And that, that woman was so grateful that her and Sister Mangrum became lifelong friends. And when, when Brother Tommy Welchel, the man, man who wrote this book, when he met Sister Mangrum, that lady was still there with her. She was she was there. She, he got to know them both. And he said he was embarrassed, but he asked her, he said, hey, can, I see, can I see your legs? <laughs> and uh, so she, she showed him how, how her, her, her legs were, were straight. And then the woman whose nose was crooked straightened back out. And uh, she, you know, she just—it was that God loved and He cares about His kids enough that He doesn't want you to have to live with that. He wants you to be to be whole, to be healed. Uh, the next two guys were—we're going to talk about sisters Lucille and Laura. And Lucille um, was actually the secretary uh, for Amy Simple McPherson. I told you guys earlier about her ministry, the Foursquare Ministry. And then she also was the secretary for Jean Darnell afterwards. Um, Lucille prayed for a woman named Goldie. Goldie had two different size legs. One leg was four inches shorter than the other. Can you imagine trying to walk around with one leg four inches shorter than the other? doesn't go real well. You probably sound like a horse kind of clotting, bobbing through. So, um, Lucille prays for, and she had polio, which is what it caused her legs to grow out differently. Um, Lucille prayed for her, um, and, and her leg grew out, guys, and it was the same size as the other one. But it was interesting, before she prayed for her again, she made her take her braces off, and when, when this girl, Goldie, when she told her, take your braces off, Goldie said, no. Lucille said, you need to take your braces off if you want to be healed. She said, I will take them off, but if I take them off, you I, you have to heal me. And, she said, and Lucille said, I can't heal you, but if you take them off, God will heal you. And she did. She took them off, and God healed her and made her legs, made her legs the same size. 
Another woman came in, guys. Her wrist was completely crushed. They said it, it, it went down. So if you imagine your arm's supposed to be straight, right? It actually went down. And when, when uh, Sister Lucille asked her what had happened, she said that um, she, had, she had done something that her husband didn't like, and her husband had taken a mallet and had crushed her wrist to teach her a lesson so that she wouldn't do it again. And um, Sister Lucille, you know, it broke her heart to hear that. And, and she, she said, in Jesus' name, I command that wrist will be completely restored. And the, all of those shattered bones came back together, and her, her arm came back up, and she had a whole her wrist was completely healed and restored. <laughs> this is a little gross. So she would pray for people that had really messed up teeth, right? Their teeth had fallen out. They had gums that were like bleeding and infected. She put her hands in their mouth. And she said that she would pray for their teeth. And if she didn't, they didn't have teeth, she would pray for their gums. And she said she'd rub her hands on their gums. She carried around a, a rag with her. And she said a lot of times that she called it the bad stuff. So if you imagine like if, if something's infected, that stuff. Uh, so she would pray for it and she said the pussy stuff would start coming out and she said she'd take the rag and she'd wipe, wipe away the pus and when she wiped it away, brand, they'd have brand new teeth in, in their mouth. Isn't that awesome? Yeah. I think I'd wear some gloves. <laughs> um, oh, this is one of my favorite stories, guys. So, Sister Laura um, had a real heart and a compassion for for women and for praying for women, and they tell the story of uh, of this woman who'd come to the revival. She had lung cancer, and uh, she came to the revival, walked there herself, from two miles away. They said that she would take a she had a walking staff like a cane. She would put it six inches in front of her and pull herself forward six inches. And she put it six inches in front of her pull herself forward another six inches. She did this for the full two miles. So if two miles away, it took her over three hours to get to the revival. When she got there, guys, she, she came in and Sister Laura saw her and she said, I want to go pray for that woman. And she got over there and she said, what's wrong? And she said, the, doc- she says, the doctors tell me that the cancer has eaten up my lungs and that, I, that I'm going to die within the next day or two. Uh, they said at this point, this woman, she was five foot six inches tall, so only a couple inches shorter than me. She weighed sixty-five pounds. Imagine that, sixty-five pounds. Um, so she was basically skin and bones. I mean, her body, her body was was one step away from from death. So Laura lays her hands on her. And she starts to pray for her. And she said immediately she could feel her lungs. She could breathe easier. She got better. And they, they told her, they said, we want you to just lay down. Lay down in the glory. Lay down in the, the Shekinah glory midst. So she, she lays down and she stays there for the next four hours. And guys, over the next four hours, she didn't eat anything. But she breathed in that. She breathed in God's presence. She breathed in that Shekinah glory. When she got up, she had gained 40 pounds. She'd gone from 65 pounds to 105 pounds just by breathing in the presence of God. She went to her doctor the next day, the one that the day before had told her, you'll die within the next day. She went to him, and, and when she walked into his office, they handed her papers for new, a new patient. They didn't recognize her. She looked so different. The, the, the people that took care and that, that you know she'd seen two days before didn't know who she was. The doctor came in and said, what, what happened? 
you can't, you you couldn't have gained that much weight. So he, he he examines her. He examines her lungs, and he says they were like a, a young child's lungs. They were brand new. She'd been completely healed on the inside, no trace of cancer. And the doctor said, "Have you been down at that that warehouse?" And she said, "Yeah." He goes, can I go with you? So that doctor goes the next day to that warehouse and he sees what's happening. And he's like, oh my gosh. And he, he gives up his medicine practice and he forms what he founded what was called the Wings of Healing Ministry. In that ministry, he traveled all around praying for people and seeing people healed, not by medicine, but by the hand of God. Isn't that awesome? It reminded me of the story, guys, in the Bible of the woman with the issue of blood. I'm going to read that scripture to you. It's Matthew 9, 20-22. Just then a woman who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years came up behind him and touched the edge of his cloak. She said to herself, If only I touch his cloak, I will be healed. And Jesus turned and he saw her. And he said, Take heart, daughter. Your faith has healed you. And the woman was healed in that moment. And here's this woman, right guys? 65 pounds. Doctors have declared over her, you will die within 24 hours. And here she is with her staff, six inches at a time for two miles. She gets to the revival. She says, if I can just get to the revival, God will touch me. And she gets there. And God, in four hours, God takes her from 65 pounds with lungs that are about to not work to 105 pounds with a child's lungs in her isn't that awesome? That's the type of God that guys that we serve. He loves you. He wants that for your lives too. Uh, talking about the Shekinah glory, it talked about both Laura and Lucille. They were petite women. They said they loved to just sit on the floor. And they were so short that if they would sit down cross-legged on the floor, a lot of times the glory would come up above their head. So they would just sit there and, uh, and let, let God minister to them. And other times they said they'd lie down completely and breathe it in. The interesting thing, guys, I told you that this this revival was about unity. There were there were blacks, there were whites, there were Asians, there were Hispanics, there were young people, there were old people, there were men, there were women, there were doctors, there were completely uneducated, illiterate people, and they're all there together. They're all worshiping God. These two women came from extremely wealthy families. They had more money than they knew what to do with. But they said before they came to the revival, their life had no purpose. It, it was it was just man's thing. It was things. It was stuff. It didn't mean anything. Then they came to the revival. They got the presence of God. They got to see people's lives change. They got to pray for people. So it didn't matter if you were rich, if you were poor, if you were young, if you were old. God God would use would use people the same. Next story, guys, is about Brother Cantrell. Um, he was a young man. He was 20 years old. He said he loved to watch the teenagers move. Though He used to love to watch, sit back and watch Ralph Riggs and C.W. Ward pray for people. They said that uh, with C.W. Ward, they said he, w- he was a teenager, but he said when he would pray for people, he didn't he didn't just come up and lay hands on and say, you know, in Jesus' name be healed. He said he would he would start doing these gyrations. He'd swing back and forth. And then he'd start, he'd start shouting, In Jesus' name! And he would, he would go in it. And they said, and they, uh, they asked Brother Cantrell, they said, uh, they said, so did, did God, did God move through that? And he said, well, the people got healed. <laughs> so, uh, you know, sometimes God is as patient with us as we're learning, as we're learning how to interact with Him. Um, but he prayed for a man who's 28 years old and his entire life had never been able to talk normal. He could only mumble. 
So he, he asked him, he said, what are you here for? And the man said, I'm here for He said, I'm sorry, what are you here for? I'm here for prayer. He goes, hold on. He said, let's pray for you so I can understand you. He, go, he prays for him. He says, Lord, I, I ask that... that he, he had him stick out his tongue. He put his hands on his tongue. He said, tongue be loosed in Jesus' name. And all of a sudden, the man who for 28 years of his life had not been able to talk, said, I came for a prayer to get healed from my hip so I could talk. And he goes, oh, okay. And he'd already prayed for him for that. So that was... Uh, and the man ran out shouting, glory, hallelujah. So... Uh, Brother Cantrell talked about William Seymour. He said what was most impressive was that he wasn't influenced by man. He didn't care what other men said about his ministry. People could say, you're weird. That's not of God. And a lot of people did, guys. A lot of the churches at that time, people would say, said it was Satan dressed as an angel of light. The others said, you're, this ministry will amount to nothing more than a pebble being tossed into the ocean. Basically meaning it would have no power. And, and he, in, but William Seymour... Right? He put his box on, and he'd hear from God. And he said, all right, this is what we're going to do. And he'd keep, keep marching forward and doing what God called him to do. Uh, Brother Garcia, we talked to, just talked a little bit about this guy. Uh, he was, a, he was his, a Hispanic young man. Um, he was there, again, guys, this, this, at Azusa, all barriers were broken down. Races, social classes, genders, um, he prayed for two elderly women and one elderly man that were all crippled and that um, had been bound in the wheelchair into wheelchairs. And the woman was in such bad shape she couldn't even feed herself. If others hadn't been there to feed her, she literally would have died. And as he prayed for her, um, she rose up. She was completely healed. And they said she started to do the waltz, if you've ever seen that dance movie. And she waltzed through the entire entire building while everyone was just shouting and clapping and praising God. Uh, the man he, he went to pray for, um, he asked him to pray. He asked Brother Garcia to pray for him. Uh, he said he felt the electricity running through him and he was healed. And when he jumped up, he asked the man. He said, "Are you Jesus?" To Brother Garcia, and uh, Brother Garcia said, "No, I'm not." But he lives in me. And, and, and it was Jesus through him that prayed and that healed this man. He prayed for a little six-year-old girl that had been blind since she was four years old. So for the last two years, she hadn't been able to see. Um, and they said that when he prayed for her, her pupils changed from, uh, they had been grayed over, and they changed back to black pupils, and she was able to see perfectly. Speaking of the Shekinah glory, so evidently Brother Garcia would come from Grand Central Station, the train station, and that's how a lot of people got around back in those days. And it was a half a mile away from where Azusa Revival was. He said a lot of times as he got off of the train state, at the train station at Grand Central, he could look and see the Azusa, he could see flames coming off of the building, and he would think to himself, God's moving, it's going to be a good night tonight. And then he said one day he got to the, he got to the Grand Central Station, he got off the plane, the train and people were laid out on the floor and others were praying in tongues and the power of God had gotten so strong it had spread from the revival a half a mile away people were being hit by the power of God and started instantly speaking in tongues and being laid out under the power of God 
He was also the first person to tell Brother Tommy about uh, William Seymour's 100-year prophecy uh, that, that I mentioned earlier. And then this was a quote from him. He said, When you came into Azusa, you got healed. And then the more you attended, the more faith you had, and the more things you would see happen. Because your faith was building up as you saw other people be believing, and you believed, soon you had no doubt. And you walked up to someone that, uh, when you walked up to someone, you knew that they were going to get healed. And after a while, it was easy to have the boldness to walk up to someone and to proclaim over them, God is going to heal you tonight. Isn't that awesome, guys? That faith. And I'm hoping that some of these stories I'm telling you guys, I'm hoping it's building your faith. Because when we leave here, right, we're going to, on our way to go eat, we're going to, we're going to, uh, we're going to pray for some people. We're going to go, and you're going to have a witnessing experience. And uh, I want you to think about what these people saw. Because God, you may see someone, and God may lead you to pray for them. And just believe, because if God did it for them and did it for these people, He loves everyone the same. He wants the same thing that these people saw for you to be able to pray for people and to see that same type of thing happen. All right. We're getting near the end here, guys. So, Sister Dundee. Um... This was interesting. There were, she, it was a thing in there that said, you know, the thought that God visited us in a barn to introduce His Son and then revisited us through His Shekinah glory in a warehouse that was once a stable, it confounds the minds of scholars and of skeptics. And she said, you know, we build these great temples and cathedrals and we decorate them and with all these ornate decorations, but yet God keeps showing up in the most humble of dwellings. And as I read that, it made me think of, you know, something Pastor Scott said a while back. Before we had this place, guys, um, and, you know, he talked about when we got a church building, from the outside, it wasn't going to look that impressive. But yet, when you come inside, the presence of God would be here, and it would be a beautiful place. And that's how God was. You know, Jesus came in a manger, right? He came in a stable. When the Shekinah glory dropped at Azusa Street, it wasn't in a fancy cathedral with stained glass windows and vaulted ceilings. It was in a brick building that used to be a stable that had animals in it. Um, you know, that's where God chose to show up. Sister Dundee, uh, she loved ministering to children. Uh, she had a seven-year-old crippled girl that came in with braces. Sister Dundee took the braces off, and uh, I thought this was interesting. She sent someone to get the girl's mom and take her away from the girl. Then she went and took the braces off and told the girl, I'll be back. And she walked to the complete other side of the building and put the braces down. Then she walked back to the little girl. And a seven-year-old girl who just took her braces away. And she says, you don't need those anymore. You're not going to get those back because Jesus is going to heal you. The little girl's like, hey, my braces are like 200 feet that way. I can't walk without them. So she prays for her, and, uh, and the little girl, uh, and Jesus heals the little girl, and she's completely healed. She's able to walk. So uh, Next story, she talked about a, a mom came with a baby that, whose neck was bent. So the baby's neck was twisted to the side. She could, it couldn't straighten it up. And uh, Sister Dundee took her and put, the, put a blanket over her and prayed that God would heal her. And, uh, and she said she looked down and she saw the baby's neck had been healed. And the mom looked at her and saw the look on her face, you know. And she said, what's wrong? Is my baby, you know, she thought maybe the baby died or something. And she said, she's healed. And the mom, she said, do you want the baby back? And she said, before she could even try to hand it to the mom, the mom was so happy, she'd take off running. Or she was running laps around the building. So she just held the baby for a while. And then the, babe, the mom 
took the baby home and the dad saw the baby and he came back the next day and wanted to get healed um, and he he was healed um, and then he actually again went on to become a pastor and again pastored a church for 35 years after that so she also ministered to a young man. He was a little young boy. He was six years old. His uh, body was so weak that they had to strap his head to the wheelchair to hold him up. If, if they didn't strap him in, he would fall down. And uh, Sister Dundee said, "You know, we're gonna we're gonna believe in faith that Jesus is gonna heal him. Take those straps off of him." So she took the straps off of him. She prayed for the young man. He was completely healed and got up and, and walked off. So. Next, guys, we're going to talk about Brother Fox. Um, I don't know if any of you have heard of Brother Fox, but he was a great missionary to India. Uh, he saw thousands saved there and, and had a great, great uh, ministry there. Um, but it talks about Azusa was a hands-on workshop for the miraculous that was led by God Himself. God used this great outpouring not only to meet immediate needs, but also as preparation to, uh, for those that were going to serve Him throughout the world. Uh, he brought young people there to train them for the mission field, uh, both at home and abroad in the world. So Azusa, guys, while it happened in California, the people that came left from there and went out to the world. John G. Lake went to South Africa. Brother Fox went to India. People went back to Europe. They spread out across the U.S. So God delivered the the baptism of the Holy Spirit on a, on a large scale back to the church there, um, but then it spread from there out to the world. Um, Brother Fox was there from the ages of 18 to 20. Uh, it was a season of preparation, and when he left, he went directly to India, and he had the, the power that he needed, basically, to see that nation healed. It talks about he prayed for a man that had a blackened throat. So if you can imagine, the, entire, the man's entire throat was black from cancer. Um, and he, he, after he prayed for the man, he said to the man, uh, he, he said, I want you to talk. And the man said, I can't. And Brother Fox got a smile. He looked at him and goes, say that again. And the man realized he had just he just said that he couldn't talk. So uh, he, he started talking and, and it was completely you. Uh, this story is awesome, guys. 35 people had come from a, a home for the deaf. And he had them line up in a circle and join hands. And he came to the first one. And guys, Pastor talks about this sometimes, right? Sometimes healing's not just about getting the healing. Sometimes you need deliverance from something. And, and he spoke into the ear of the first man. He said, Deaf spirit, I command you, come out of him now in Jesus', in Jesus name. And when he did that, he said, you heard a pop. And then a whoosh. And he said, the man, the man looked at him and said, I can hear. And then the others that were in the group, he didn't pray for any of them. But they saw the first man. They were touching. They saw the first man that could hear. And then they said, one by one, and dom- like a domino, all 35 of them were, went from being completely deaf to being able to hear. Isn't that awesome? So he was talking about the Shekinah glory and he talked about how the power of God was directly correlated to the thickness of the glory cloud there. So if you can imagine, guys, right, the more that God's presence was there with them, the more anointing there was to see people healed. Uh, 
This guy just reminded me of that scripture from John 14, verses 12 through 14. It says, Very truly I tell you, and this is Jesus talking to people, whoever believes in me will do the works that I've been doing, and they will do even greater works in my name. Because I'm going to the Father, what I will do whatever you ask in my name, so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. And you may ask me for anything in my name, and I will do it. Guys, that's a promise that we have. You think about what Jesus did, right? We're, we're given the power to do the same works and greater works. And the people at Azusa, they understood that. And they believed it. And they saw that happen. Sister Goldie um, was actually the... One, I told you guys that Brother Tommy, when he first came to L.A., the gentleman who wrote the book, he was witnessed to by someone from the revival. That was Sister Goldie. Uh, he said that she took an interest in him. Um, and this is, guys, the heart that we're to have for people. He was a young man. He was running from the law. He was not... He didn't have any money. He didn't have any clothes. She took him in. She got him saved. She got him a place to live. She bought him his first Bible. She bought him his first suit. And she helped him to change his life. And that's the heart that God wants us to have for people. But this woman, she was drawn to those that had disfigurements and, and deformities. And it said over a two-year period, she prayed um, and saw over 3,000 tumors or facial growths fall off of people's faces. 3,000 in two years, guys. Alright, we're going to close with Brother Brown. So, Azusa, guys, was an amazing, amazing time. God came and He dwelled with His people in a way that hadn't really been seen since Jesus had walked the earth. And um, a lot of people were touched by it. Brother Brown was used miraculously. He saw 50 people, blind people, healed and, and have their, their eyesight completely restored to them. He saw a girl that had been had been born with no whites in her eyes. She, her eyes were solid black. And she'd been, she'd been blind since her birth. He prayed for her and, and she, he literally watched the white in her eyes develop. And by, when it was done, she was able to see perfectly. But when Azusa started to wane, and other God started calling people, He said, you know, Brother Fox, you go to India. Brother John G. Lake, you go to South Africa. The gentleman that you know we talked about earlier that had been uh, blind and was, uh, was an alcoholic, He sent him across the Midwest to preach. Um, he started calling people out. Brother Brown wouldn't leave. He stayed there. And, and the, the anointing had left. And, 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 but he wasn't willing to leave Azusa. And, and there's a little bit of a warning in that for us. In that you can't live on yesterday's anointing. If God moves, and he will move because he's like, Pastor Scott talks, he's like a river. He's constantly flowing. If you try to stay and set up camp in a place and God's not there anymore, you're not going to see the miracles anymore. And you're going to lose you're going to lose your connection with God. So you always have to be willing to flow with God and move where He's calling you to. Brother Brown, he lived a great life. He saw a lot of miracles and healings. And God he, God loves him. And he, I'm sure he's in heaven today. But what at the end of his life, as Brother Tommy was talking to him, he said, I can only imagine what my life had been had I followed, had I been willing to follow God. And, you know, when, when the anointing was gone and He told me to leave, where would I have gone? What would have I seen? How many people? How many more people would have been saved if I if I'd been willing to let go of what was behind me and move forward with God's path? So that's just the lesson for us too, guys. We always have to be willing to move when God moves. Uh, 
Asuza was amazing, guys. I hope you, I hope these stories filled you with faith, because as I read through them, it's amazing. I, I truly believe that we'll see the glory mist of God. There's been different things that have happened, guys, over the course of River of Life, where we've seen stuff in the Spirit, and and even today in other places, things like the uh, gold dust have fallen on people, where as people are praying and preaching, literally the stage will be covered with gold. In other places, jewels, diamonds will just start falling, and there's jewels everywhere that they don't know. They, they God just, for whatever reason, decided to bring them there. So God's still moving miraculously today, guys, and, and that's what's ahead of us. And there's been prophesied uh, a great revival coming to America, and there's the revi- there's the there's the prophecy that William Seymour had that in nearly a hundred years that the the church would see the revival again, and that's what's ahead of us. And that's what I hope you guys, you know, I hope you get excited about. It. I hope you guys believe that you know God will move through you. You'll go lay hands on people, and they'll and they'll be healed, and they'll be delivered, and they'll be set free because that's what the Word of God says.